folks. XQ quality, better than HQ, but no one knows what the X stands for, except for extremely good. <clears throat> Here we go. Welcome to episode 217 of Channel Massive. I'm Noah. And I'm Mark. And we are here to kick some butt. That's right. Another two for show for you this week. Dynamic duo. Yes. And against all odds, we found a lot of stuff to talk about. At first, we weren't sure there was going to be anything, but then we found it. <sighs> Noah did all the all the heavy lifting. I think I found two things to his 350 articles. But uh, <laughs> you can righteously judge my news selection abilities, listeners, by sending in your critiques to mail m a i l at channelmassive.com or to tell Mark that he's just wonderful too. It doesn't matter how many news stories he generates. It's not select. the quantity; it's the quality. It's the quality. Unfortunately, he, no, it has me beat there, too. So. <laughs> well, Mark did find a, a really good Dead or Alive find earlier. That's, <laughs> yes, I've watched it several times. <laughs> and, and I am, and I, you know, the misogynistic, uh, you know, objectification of the women. And, and it angers me so much that I just keep watching the Tina defeat sequence for Dead or Alive 5 over and over and over again, <laughs> just to make sure I didn't miss anything. So you could find every detail that you can. I'll have to buy the game as well so that I can further feel my angst rise as I watch. Or, well, that didn't come out exactly right. But anyway, (laughs) you know what I'm saying. I'll be very upset about it. I'm sure. All right. That sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) So for this show. (laughs) Slightly slightly disingenuous, but there it is. I'm glad you tried. <laughs> I tried and failed. <laughs> so we have Intergeddon with a whole bunch of stuff, a whole bunch of new stories that we're going to go through from Blizzard to Valve to Microsoft. And then we've got a sweet little email from our Dragon Con compatriot, unknown compatriot, Agamemnon, yeah. which is pretty sweet. Then we've got some what we're playing, some general geekery, and Mark told me about it last week, and I have secured a can of the new multi-Mountain Dew Johnson City Gold. I have, have not yet tried it. Right. Which Mark has. He he was actually going to look for one to have a simultaneous taste confirmation experience. Yeah. But you weren't able to get one. Yeah, I I saw one. I saw two two different times out. I saw them today in the earlier hours. And then I was going to grab one on the way home, and the store I went to didn't have them. And so I failed utterly. Um, although I have had one, so I can speak to it. But Yeah. So this, this may be a new little tradition for us, some yeah. beverage taste test action on the show. So I'm going to wait until. You know, we'll try something every time. Yeah, I, I think that would be a really cool idea, Mark. I mean, whether it's beers or sodas or whatever. Maybe we can have a, a let's try to find Noah a beer that he'll actually drink. 
Sickness. I was thinking if we could find some shaman from Peru, we could try an ayahuasca ceremony and see how that goes. <laughs> Great. So yeah. <laughs> all of this to look forward to and more in this episode of Channel Massive. But first up, the interrogation. Our first category of news is the mighty valve. First of all, that, that valve continues down the path to install Linux domination with a beta. Uh, it's like a, a thousand user beta coming up for the Linux client and games. Yeah, in October. It's pretty amazing. I, it's pretty you soon. Know, people have been asking for it and asking for it and asking for it. And Valve was like, you know, we'd like to, but we just we don't see it. Um, and then all of a sudden, they're like, you know what? We see it. So be looking for it. <laughs> and here they go. Which that would be really interesting. I, uh, you know, I don't have a Linux, a dedicated Linux That's what I was box. Ask you Even as, as geeky as I am, and I, I'm, I consider myself not a bad, you know, Unix admin, formerly by trade. Um, but I don't. I have some virtual ones. I have like some network equi- equipment with embedded Linux on it. Uh, I've got, you know, like a, I've got an OpenWRT. Um, loaded router that's basically running kind of a Linux type variant. I've got a VM for it somewhere around here that I use once in a while. But um I don't have an actual box that I would wow. say I um yeah. So I don't know. I I That's I, kind of surprising, Mark. I, I would have expected you to have one for some five years ago I certainly would have. But yeah. you know, it's just I Well if your needs are met elsewhere, do you really need an extra box for that? No, really no. So, you know, I have a Mac, and I think they do a better job of a, a, a Unix-based desktop than anyone else. So kind of don't feel the need. But I still think it's cool, and I still really support them for this. And I I think maybe it would change my mind. So say, say this works really well, um, and as my kids are getting older and their educational games available um, – you know, loading up uh, a you know Ubuntu, a free distro on some older hardware, which always seems to run so great under Linux, mm-hmm. and being able to allow my kids to have access to, you know, um, a, a, a limited Steam library for that with some good games that maybe are available would be really cool. You know, I don't know. It's it's a cool thing. I, I'm really glad to see it. Um, you know, the Mac client's pretty good too, but. There's definitely a much smaller uh, set of applications and, or, well, games available under these alternate off, uh, operating systems yeah. and under Windows. So, you know, that's just that's just how it goes. But it's really exciting. And this is kind of foreshadowing, but we we may be in a world two or three years from now where there's just such a, a violent blowback against Microsoft for its closed Windows 8 system that. Linux and Steam support of Linux will just be so much more prominent and relevant for indie games and other developers and software providers. That is really, that is true. You know, I mean, there is a lot of angst over uh, Windows 8. In fact, we'll, we'll talk about that a little later. But yeah, it, it, it could well be um, that, that people say enough's enough and more people support Linux and an actual good desktop for Linux emerges. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, between Gnome and KD being the two contenders, they both have different but similar problems, if that makes any sense. Um, when you try to emulate something that's, you know, as full as a desktop, um, you know, management system is what Windows does, um, you start to, in some ways, fall into some of the same traps and problems. So initially when GNOME and KDE, which are both, you know, their kind of desktop approaches came out, they were both really fast. And as they started to add features, which made them more and more similar to the, what Windows does, they became more and more slow and bloated and less streamlined. And then as the people in charge of the projects wanted to pursue their different visions of how the desktop should be, they both in, have in different ways kind of fallen into a lot of the same kind of, you know, traps that, that I think Windows has run into. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. You know, Ubuntu is a really slick-looking um, version of, of Linux, um, and so maybe if, if that got more support, um, I don't know. We'll see what happens, but it's going to be an interesting world, I'm sure. Mm. And nobody likes Windows 8. I mean, that's the thing that's just, you know... <laughs> Universal, incontrovertible. If that's a word, uh, it nobody likes it. So, um, except for people at Microsoft, and of those, I'm pretty sure they're paid to like it. So <laughs> they're a little bit biased, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, and speaking of Valve, Germany is not very happy with Valve and Steam. Yeah, has a bit of a strong dislike there. Some of us may remember Steam did a little. Terms of service update, very similar to what Sony has done, Microsoft has done, and some other gaming-related group that I can't remember has done. But basically, Valve updated Steam's term of service, terms of service that basically said, when you accepted them, you agreed not to get involved in a class action lawsuit against Valve over Steam. And if you refused to accept these terms of service, then you would be locked out of the Steam client. You were therefore forced to accept this. Well, Germany's not going to take this sitting down. <laughs> and it has a federation of German consumer organizations that has threatened to sue Valve if Valve doesn't do something to remedy this lockout that occurred by October 10th. So wow. unless Valve does something by October 10th, then this federation in Germany is going to press charges against Valve. So and then on top just... of that, oh, there's yeah. even more. They also want Valve to not per, not ever install a means to prevent people from reselling their digital games. Not that there's an option to do that, but wow. this federation also wants Valve to make sure that it never does that either. So just to to say bluntly what's happened, Valve attempted to to make a change to their agreement to forestall any further class action lawsuits. And what's happening in essence with this federation of uh, uh, of groups in Germany is a giant class action lawsuit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> go figure, right? Right. So it's like we want to avoid them at all. Oh, crap. Well, we've got one. And then they want to do this other thing about reselling, which that's a landmine or that's a I mean, that's a minefield, I guess. It's not just yeah. a landmine. It's I mean, you have to deal with all the people, all the deals you have with all the developers of the software in the first place. And oh, my gosh. And different different companies like EA 
who, you know, who historically, you know, withheld titles from them for different reasons. I mean, this could be really gnarly. Yeah, and hopefully this it's good is, for the consumer, but I don't know. Yeah, well, it may be isolated purely to Europe. That's the other side of the coin. And this this resale of digital content is actually following the footsteps of a European court ruling that said game publishers cannot block European customers from reselling downloadable games. So the Federation is just trying to say, by the way, Valve, we haven't forgotten about this. Don't think you're going to get this around us either. Right. To, to even like you're you were alluding to, Mark, to even create a system that allows you to resell software, it's I'm sure it's no small feat. Even with oh, as yeah. advanced and well polished as Steam is, I don't think it's something that Valve could flip the switch on. And GameStop has alluded that, oh, we'd like to maybe explore that concept, and I think that's when we talked about it before in the show. Yeah. But Steam's never said anything, or Valve's never said anything about doing that with Steam. And can you imagine? I mean, what do you do with a game? that you bought during one of Valve's famous flash sales that you paid like 25 cents where you're like, I want to resell this game. How do you value it? Right. Do they have to just build into their system the lowest value it ever sold for? And then you can resell it at half of that. So if it's 25 cents, you can sell it. You know, they have, they have to round it to 13 or 12. (laughs) I mean, yeah, that could be gnarly. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm sure that if anyone could figure it out and how to actually make it work, they they would be prime, probably top mm-hmm. of my list. Definitely not the EA store. Um, boy, this is like an anti-EA episode already. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's just – that is pretty wacky. But I like it from a consumer point of view. Yeah. Um, I don't know. If, when things go purely digital – in the world of gaming, which I think it is inevitable, as so many people say, that used content market, whatever we want to call it, it, it yeah. has to mature. It has to grow out of that. I, I can't see a world without that somehow in there, because just yeah. because it's no longer tangible doesn't mean that people won't want to recoup some of their costs. I imagine they're just going to end up. What's going to happen is, at some point, the software developers are just going to consider all software a license-based thing, and so they'll just make it the license non-transferable. You know? I'm sure that's where it's headed. And, you know, we've been over this one before so many times, and while that's not great for the consumer, that's got to be what they do, is just say you can't can't resell it ever. Or else there's going... (laughs) Something like this would be just insane. God, what a mess that would be. Somebody's like hard up for money and 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 if there was a way you could convert your you know, purchases on Steam to actual currency, like go backwards, they like sell everything off for half price. Mm-hmm. But what if they leave it installed on their computer and there's no way to control I mean, it's just a nightmare. So very interesting. It'll be cool to see what develops from this. What would you think about uh, it's I th- it's so funny because we just talked about this I think this well, just last week. What would you think about Valve being bought out at some by somebody in spite of its protestations that it would never do that? I would hate to see it. I really think I like I like what they're doing. I like where they're headed. I like I think Gabe Newell is like you know the stories we've heard about the employee who got really sick who turned out to, oh, by the way, be the lead game designer for, like, Portal or whatever, you know, where he 
you know, Gabe said, hey, your, your new job is to get well. And then later that built a loyalty that, you know, paid off in a huge way. But still, I mean, it's it's run differently. It's not a public company. It's um, privately held. They don't really have to. They can't really be bought out if they don't want to be. It's totally up to them. And he said in the past that, you know, he would disintegrate the company if somebody <laughs> he didn't like were to try to buy them. So I would hate to see it because it just would be like the last it would be like a huge sellout you know at this point just because he said no 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 and somebody said okay but if we offered you instead of one billion six billion and he was like well i'm not insane <laughs> you know i have my principles but principles and insanity are two different things i'll take the money i'll start a new one and i'll destroy you know whatever valve you guys have left after you buy me out and everybody you know leaves to come to my company so you know, I mean, there's always that, but uh, I would hate to see it. I just really like it to stay the way it is, keep innovating what they're doing, you know, making great games, coming up with these cool, like the hardware ideas that they're, they're talking about and everything, and what they've done with Steam, having it expand to new platforms, maybe making a console. I'd really like that to just continue and to come up with a new Half-Life. <laughs> Baby steps, Mark. I know. I'm a dreamer. That's why your stance is pretty similar to what mine is. And that's why I was just really surprised to see this rumor pop up today that NCSoft and and Nexon, two Korean powerhouses, were colluding to pull their money, sell some assets and buy out Valve after a, a secret meeting in Hawaii or something like that. And I was like, what the hell? But part of it was just a pl- total rumor, right? I mean, yeah. And so far that's definitely what the response has been. NCSoft has said there are no grounds to this rumor. A valve spokesperson has said, this is total rumor. It's just like, it's just out of left field. And I would, I really wouldn't prefer not to see valve bought out by anyone. Especially not, you know, those two or EA, I mean, there's, there's, there, and that's about the only people that could do it. And so I really really don't want to see it happen because it'd be horrible. Um, I like them just the way they are. And plus, NCSoft's dead to me because of what they did to City of Heroes. So, you know, they can, they can just continue to pursue excellence and crappy titles like Aeon. Just keep kicking that dead horse with angel wings and stuff. Keep kicking that Pegasus. I forgot about that game. You totally got yeah. that game, man. <laughs> it is very forgettable, you know? And since yeah. I used to be such a there fan was a lot of hype for it. Soft, it it's even more painful. Oh, yeah, I was going to change everything, and it didn't. <laughs> Actually, though, Guild Wars 2 does a lot of the things that promised to do, and it does it really well. So, so there. Arena.net. So fine. It was, yeah. it was a complex. Somewhere by someone. <laughs> would you, cons- What's that? if it were offered, would you consider if it were offered a video game streaming service from your cable TV provider? In lieu oh of hell like- yeah! If the price was right, if it wasn't exorbitant, if you know, if they if they were, didn't charge like you know some ridiculous amount of money, like you know twenty bucks a month or something, if it was like along the lines of what Netflix costs, absolutely, that'd be awesome. It's just such a low risk way to try stuff out, you know. Yeah, that's apparently 
what a new report is suggesting that as soon as next year, some trials will be underway from AT&T, Verizon, Comcast, Time Warner. This is to, all Gaikai technology, I guess. Since yeah, to do Gaikai-esque technology, yeah. a cloud gaming service, basically allowing you to subscribe and would you, play games with a generic controller. Would you do it? It's a really weird question. I, I think... Well, you asked it. it. I know. <laughs> I did ask it because of the story. <laughs> I think if I were young, like if I were 13 or 12 and the prospect of saving up enough money to buy a new console was really a, an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. And if I could get my parents into gaming, it'd be kind of cool to say like, well, hey, we don't have to buy a console. We just tack on an extra 20 bucks a month or 30 bucks or who knows how much a month, probably 50 bucks, 60 bucks. knowing these people um, to have this service because then we want to outlay this much money and we'll have all these tons of games. But the, the loyalist side of me, the person that's been playing video games since I was, well, <laughs> since I was little many yeah. for many decades, I have sworn off cable TV for many years <gasps> and I just think they just price gouge and they're just totally obnoxious yeah, monopolies. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I, they're like kind of like you were alluding to about valve being bought out by anybody. I definitely would not want these companies blowing up the video game space and pushing out the businesses that have built it right. and using it to charge even more exorbitant monthly subscription fees. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. And I, I, until it's proven, um, I'd be really skeptical of whatever generic controllers they would use to play the games. Right. There are definitely good models out there, good examples to follow in terms of hardware design to make a good controller that would be very ergonomic and user-friendly and nice, but it's just like, ah, no. <laughs> I don't, I, I, I'm really conflicted about it. But then I also wasn't really psyched about Gaikai or OnLive anyways. In, in, I know that we are heading towards this path no matter what, but I'd rather get a service via Sony or Microsoft or Nintendo versus via AT&T, Verizon, or Comcast. Right. Just this bundling nickel and dime. Yeah. That's a good point. You know, I hadn't thought of it that way, but I am so unhappy with my current cable bill which only includes you know cable tv and um you know one premier channel or premium channel i mean which is hbo and mm-hmm. my internet connection it is so exorbitantly expensive right now that i'm gonna actually i was i was gonna i've been trying to call them all week but i'm gonna have to give them a call and seriously cut it back because it is just ridiculous how it has you know they give you usually like an introductory offer and then after six months it goes to full-on price gouging yeah. mode. Mm-hmm. and i've got to at least make the attempt to to you know cut back and get i gotta drop hbo i got i gotta do something it's just too much money and and i don't think we're in, we're taking advantage of it i don't watch any movies on hbo you know i just i really only watch it for a couple of the series they have which are awesome but hell i'll just wait till they come out on netflix if that's the case yeah or yeah, I, that's valid that's hypothetical. I'll do it differently, really, but in, in, in pretend world, I'll do it that way. 
that's a legitimate path someone might take if they wanted to watch those shows. But I am just fed up with paying that much money every month for it. And the and even the cable bill is ridiculous. But I mean, for um, you know, internet access, I got to cut that back too. It's just I don't know what I can do, but it's just terrible. That's what my parents are, and they're in this constant cycle of subscribing six months to one and then canceling it and going to somewhere else because the prices well, get jacked up like 200%. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I, if I really didn't mind the pain in the ass that it would be, I could literally go between Comcast, Dish Network, and DirecTV and just rotate it out for an 18-month cycle of six months each, you know, mm-hmm. which would be a real pain in the butt. Yeah, because you lose all your recordings, you have to send the machines back, all that other junk. How, but you know what? With that, even though that'd be a pain, every time I did it, I would end up with a, an upgrade in equipment, and it would still cost less than just sticking with one of them. <laughs> You're penalized for your loyalty. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it is. It, in fact, that's the thing. You know, if you call and say, hey, I'm thinking about quitting, they they have like a set of, um, you know, they have a whole script they go through for that. Whereas yeah, if you say, hey, I, I hate what you're charging me, they're like, oh, yeah, that sucks. But, you know, you're a captive audience. Enjoy. So I don't know. <laughs> now, some hardware or technology that I could get into from the future is this Oculus Rift thing. Yeah. The potential was... for, like, the simulation of, like, what is it, like a 100-inch, 200-inch screen, and it's in 3D. Yeah, 3D. Yeah. That's the part that's, like... So the LCD shutter crap, I always hated that. Like, I never, ever, ever... I had one of those, an early one, which it was linked mm-hmm. to your video card, and, you know, you you. I, I couldn't stand it. Um, and, and I really... I was, like, hoping it would be more like this. But if it's actually, you know, simulates the giant 100-inch screen, it's all 3D, that's awesome. That For 300 bucks, that's really not too bad of an investment, especially if it actually works as advertised. Well, listeners, don't get your hopes up too much because this is apparently a development kit. But you can get it for three hundred bucks. You can, uh, I think, you can pre-order it, and it includes access to the SDK. And you, so if you're like a developer, you could start making your own stuff. It's not yeah. really intended for consumers, but I was curious, Mark, with this being available and you being a nascent video game developer, if this would be something you'd consider trying out. Um, I, I would love to, but it's um. When I where I'm at in my my development <laughs> efforts right now is purely 2D top down mode. So I'm like back in the early 80s as far <laughs> <Yeah>. as uh, <laughs> as my technology goes. So um, you know it would it would be more of just uh, it would be like a, a dream kind of thing to purchase. Like oh someday and you know by that by the time that time arrives there'd probably be something more current out. So. The only way I would do it is if it would, it would allow me to watch 3D movies. <laughs> that would be really cool. I mean, that's where I could see an instant value if the if there's a way to do that right out of the box, which I'm not sure about. Um, that would be pretty awesome if I could download, you know, like watch Avatar with that thing on, you know, something actually made to be 3D with a really with like some really cool like um, positional like uh, headsets or oh, something, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. a cool headset. But no, probably not very practical for me at this point. But the price point's not ridiculous, I don't think. Yeah, if that's the actual consumer starting price point, it's yeah. not too bad given that no, it's such no. a novel and cool experience. I mean virtual virtual reality three D wow, that'd be fun with good graphics. Totally. Totally. 
something else that everybody is looking forward to if you've ever been in love with World of Warcraft is Blizzard's truly next-gen successor or next-gen MMO. Project Titan, it's slowly coming into reality. It was apparently playable as of last year. We have no other information about it other than that, although we did get a few more scraps of details just recently that the team has now grown to 100 people. Yeah. Rob, that does Rob, sound like it's getting close to the last two years. This comes from Rob Pardo himself, not some rumor mill. So 100 members. Um, it's been uh, play in playable form since last year, and they did confirm it's a new IP altogether, which I think we kind of knew that already, but it's just nice to hear it all together. And, um, you know asked questions in this interview and previous ones, he said that, um, you know, they still see the runway for um, World of Warcraft to be very far, far out. They don't see themselves closing that puppy down anytime soon. And in, <laughs> in fact, continue to plan to develop, you know, for uh, future expansions after Pandarian mists of mists of whatever, um, which I, I think it's good. I, I really hope they come out with some more compelling, you know, material than this latest Mists of Pandaria thing. But um, Titan does sound really interesting to me. I I wonder if they're going to launch it as a free-to-play MMO or if they're like, because we're Blizzard, it will be subscription-based, and you can suck it if you don't like that. <laughs> I think it's going to be free-to-play with microtransactions. That's my yeah. guess. It just works, and so many MMOs are just launching subscription based only to almost immediately turn into free to play microtransactions. Play. Just Speaking like, of which, skip it. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. That's, that's a good point. There may be more free to play in blizzards near future. Yeah. We're talking about a free to play Starcraft two multiplayer mode, which would make a lot of sense. So if you want the, you know, the kind of the content and the, um, everything that's oriented for single player, you buy it. But if they allow for multiplayer, you know, a download, like they already have the demo thing that you can download for StarCraft 2. If they just expand that to allow, you know, full-on multiplayer mode with mods and everything else, um, it's their belief that they will find, um, you know, a, a broader player base with more talent, which, hey, that'd be great. I mean, it's practically an Olympic sport in, in Korea now, um, South Korea, so why not? Just go for it and make that puppy free. I mean, that's what actually roped you in in the first place, right, Noah? To StarCraft One, the multiplayer, the, yeah, the multiplayer and the way that they had that disc that you could you could let people install you it could and spawn play. copies. Yeah, you could spawn copies as long as it was a multiplayer game. And it worked really well. I, I think there were several people that we know that started mm -hmm. playing Blizzard games because of that. Thanks to you, Mark. <laughs> All thanks to me. How much time was, how much network bandwidth did we waste? I wonder. <laughs> it was all for a good cause. Yeah, it was, they, and, it, and it kept us going while our company was listless for a while there. And the, the current stance from the lead designer of Heart of the Swarm, the next expansion pack for StarCraft II, is that it's it's still a preliminary research project, and I'm not really sure how they would make the game free-to-play given how they would have to probably limit what units you could select and what maps you were on. They're still not really positive. About it. And then not to mention the backlash that would happen over people who paid for it. 
Yeah. Uh, so th- this may not be the right time for them to do it. Maybe StarCraft three, if they could actually crank it out quicker than, you know, 15 years. <laughs> Maybe right. StarCraft three would be a good place to start with something that's from the ground up, free to play. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. Or some kind of spinoff, maybe. Yeah. I think it'll be cool to see what happens with that. Rhode Island has been trying to spin off its ill-begotten <laughs> 38 well Studios assets. <laughs> yeah, that's very interesting what they're trying to pull there. I mean, I feel sorry for... Well, as some of the comments have said, as far as the Rhode Island and 38 Studios debacle goes... Um, you know, there's a lot of angst there and, you know, from the taxpayers, even they're like, Hey, why can't we sell these damn dev kits for the Xbox? And, and one of the responses to one of the comments to that specific comment was, Hey, don't blame us for whoever the hell you elected that made the stupid ass decision to buy a (laughs) game studio. You know, that's, that's your problem. You guys, you guys should have done a much better job vetting who you were voting for. And it's kind of true. It's like, what if, like, Colorado decided to invest, uh, like, you know, $78 million in some um, kind of restaurant or something, like a chain of – they just instantly developed a restaurant <laughs> chain. Because, like, funny to hear. We, because we know that the failure rate for restaurants is so high, right? I mean, it's horrible. Um, yep. So it's like that. Or what if they, what if they you know, decided to, to – put all their money, put like half of the budget for Colorado on the Packers winning the Super Bowl this year, you know, like a terrible, well, not, that's not necessarily a terrible, well, let's see the Broncos winning the Super Bowl this year in Vegas, right? They put like all this money on that. It's a horrible bet. So is a game company. I mean, everybody knows that even with, you know, veterans and a really great pitcher at the helm. Um, it, it's just, Probably not a good bet. So I thought that was a really funny comment and comment on a comment. Yeah, the, the genesis of this debate is from Microsoft stepping in after seeing what items Rhode Island was going to try to auction off. Like, I oh, know you can't just auction off these 360 dev kits. Those are <laughs> our property and you have to apply and go through a licensing process to get this hardware. Even though it's tangible, it's still licensed. You need to return it to us. So. Right. Yeah, and um, I, so. I agree with. I totally agree with Microsoft on yeah. that one. They those those kits are always Microsoft's property. They are just lending them out yeah. to the studio to license something, and obviously nothing further will be licensed at the rate they're going. So, yeah. Now, do you agree with Marcus Notch Person refusing to help Microsoft certify Minecraft for Windows Eight? Yeah. I do. Yeah, what do you think? Kind of. What is this? Well, it's. I don't know if I should call it passive aggressive or not. It's. It, I mean, it is out there. But Notch was apparently asked by Microsoft for being to, to help certify the game for Windows 8, and he's like, "Screw you! I'm not going to do that because I don't support your closed system." And <laughs> I think Windows 8 is the the apocalypse of indie gaming. And came to well, he didn't put it this way, but I'm just trying to emphasize how strongly he feels about this to uh, quote him directly in a Reddit Q&A last month. He said, I hope we can keep a lot of open and free platforms around. If Microsoft decides to lock down Windows 8, it would be very, very bad for indie games and competition in general. 
if we can keep open platforms around, there's going to be a lot more. There's going to be a lot of very interesting games in 10 years mixed in with the huge AAA games that we all love. But this is in reference to the alleged like App Store concept for Windows 8, right? Yeah. This is this is what he's pissed off about. Yeah. And if you know, and with the stores like that, when when people can't just buy the product for however much they want or get it through whatever distribution means they want, be it you know buy it physically, get it through somebody like Steam. But if it all has to go through some kind of App Store thing for Windows 8, and they enforce some kind of draconian. Laws like process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and and I've gone through the Windows certification process in the past for um, software products, like actually certified stuff for a company I worked for, and it is a major pain in the butt, and it's not cheap. It's like twenty five hundred bucks for you know say mm-hmm. one thing, um, yeah. and um, and it took time, and you had to work with these people. Anyway, it was it was a pita. If you if you have like a indie game company having to deal with that, plus then if they do, and I'm just saying, not that Microsoft has a great track record for not doing stuff like this, but with for instance the um, the uh, app store that um, oh, that the Kindle pads have, right? Whatever that's, I can't remember what. Yeah, it's the called. Amazon App Store. The, the Amazon App Store, right? They have some really horrible. Um, features shall we say for developers such that they can they can have they can basically say if you have if the game is ever sold anywhere including our store for whatever the lowest price is then at any time we can we can make it that low period so if they did like a week sale where they decided to put your game on sale for like a quarter of the price you're hoping for and then um say like it's way over purchased. Um, you know, you'd be screwed. We, we even covered that. What happened to yeah. some of the developers? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because their infrastructure costs were way more than what they were actually recouping on the sales of their game just to support all the users. Yeah. Well, if you know, app stores like this are are notorious for kind of screwing people over. So if Microsoft did this, made it a totally closed system. It would be just horrible for indie game publishers like him. Not only that, but his primary um, language of choice is Java, and Microsoft has a notorious track record for trying to screw up Java over the years. I mean, they did everything they could to try and hose Java, and they never succeeded all the way, although they did they did cause some issues with, with just how it worked on the Windows platform in general and other stuff. But um, now that Java is owned by Oracle, you know, there's really no chance of them to hose it. But I think it's probably a historic distrust and hatred for, for Microsoft um, that he held. And then this was kind of like the last straw. Like, oh, you're going to approach me to certify my game for your closed-ass system that you want to enforce on Windows 8, or at least you're talking about enforcing? Screw you. I mean, I could totally see where he was coming from. What do you think about the perspective to play devil's advocate that indie gaming's Renaissance is partially thanks to Apple's store, which has an in-depth certification process. I don't know how expensive it costs, but it takes weeks. But a lot of small developers have found lots of success there. And I think that's what Microsoft is trying to emulate, for better or worse. Yeah, I do like that. But it's like that was a platform. The iPhone or iOS platform didn't exist. So... It's not like it was an open platform before, and then they yeah. they came in and closed it. 
the Windows desktop has been an open platform forever, and to suddenly come in and and try to close it is totally different than you know some new frontier altogether. It's kind of like they're they're putting a barricade around New York City and saying you can't ever come in here unless you pay us. You know, like you're crossing the border to Mexico or something like that. You know, you have mm-hmm. to get make it through customs. It's mm-hmm. not. It's it's it, you know. Whereas the iOS was like some island off Fiji that they found that was totally you know ready to be destroyed. Um, <laughs> those are horrible metaphors, but <laughs> yes, but it's been funny. a long it's been a long day. <laughs> I think That's though he just has. I think the man has just a historic hatred for Microsoft in general. Everybody's nobody likes Windows Eight. Everybody thinks it's you know huge. It's basically a way to totally destroy all the credibility they gained with Windows 7 and how well it actually worked. You know, there's the Vista debacle, then Windows 7 came along, fixed all those problems, had security nailed down, was a lot better, and now they're going to try and and unhose it with Windows 8. So, good luck and Godspeed. (laughs) (laughs) Well... On the, while on the topic of businesses trying to imitate one another and hoping to improve upon their examples or, or inspiration success, Kickstarter has been doing a great job getting lots of people excited about nostalgic games from the past, getting new lives again decades later via crowdfunding. But Kickstarter has never been completely about video game no crowdfunding and now some folks have gotten together and said you know what we're going to take the kickstarter kickstarter model and make it i quote more professional and uh in quote and it's going to be strictly for video games and this new initiative is called i'm going to say gambitious or gambitious i'm not sure how yeah. they would want to pronounce it it's another one of those cheesy combinations well, they are from the netherlands right so <laughs> English uh, is not their first language, <laughs> right? Yeah, this is it's an Amsterdam, Amsterdam, Amsterdam based company. <laughs> Should have called it Amsterdam. <laughs> <laughs> Where it's and they're calling it crowdfunding goes pro in that it not only has the traditional everyday schmo can go up and donate two bucks or five bucks, but full on giant companies or investment companies can put a huge chunk of investment into it in exchange for equity in the project. Wow, that's and kind of currently for stuff that's launched in the US, only if you live in the US can you do just well, I'm sorry. If you live in the US or if you're based in the US, you can't do that major investment for equity. Only people outside of the US can, which is really weird because of the way the current laws are. Oh. But apparently there's some kind of law coming up what is it? It's uh, if the Jobs Act, after since it's been passed by Congress, and I'm going to quote Venture Beat here, investors in the U.S. within the next year or two should be able to participate more fully as soon as the Securities and Exchange Commission lays down the rules. Until then, Americans can contribute via fan donations. Hmm. That's pretty weird. I don't know. It's it's kind of it's I don't know. It seems dismissive of Kickstarter to say crowdfunding going pro and you know i don't know don't don't you think it's a little bit yeah that was kind of how i felt and the ceo of gambitious 
Paul Honritz said, quote, unlike other crowdfunding platforms, Gambitious is designed specifically for the video game industry and ups the ante of developer credibility, investor engagement, and development cycle understanding. And I'm not really sure what he means by that. It's further detailed in the article that there's supposed to be like a huge qualification process and developers have to submit a business model, marketing plan, and basically get pre-screened before they can put their stuff up there. Yeah. So it seems like it's kind of like, it's kind of like the difference between, um, like, sorry, it's, it's kind of the difference between Comic-Con and Dragon Con, right? Comic-Con is like the commercial version and, and, um, Dragon Con is for the fans by the fans. Yeah. And so, with Comic-Con, you get, like, all the industry stuff, um, you know, and sponsorship. Um, but then Dragon Con has, like, just such a different feel to it. Like, you know, in kind of like a, everyone can kind of do it their own way, and it's a freedom type thing. So the thing I worry about with this is if you have, if you have, like, so once again, my metaphors are just totally host tonight. But anyway, um, <laughs> analogies. Um what I think is disturbing about this, if if I was going to try to say I wanted funding for a game and I actually had a track record of being successful at something like that, which, which of course, I don't. Um, but if I did, hypothetically speaking, I would definitely stick with Kickstarter because that's where it's going to be funded in micro payments by fans of you and what you can do or your team and what the IP is that you're developing towards and what, you know, what the ultimate, the game will ultimately be. Whereas with Gambitious, it seems like what they're saying is this would allow, you know, large, larger um, contributors to invest in something. And then you have the whole um, investor angle. Well, working for startups and dot coms and everything, the last thing you ever wanted was for the investor to have enough, of an investment to be able to shape the course of what you are working on. You never want them to come to the board meeting and actually have an agenda. You want them to just listen to what you're doing and, and, um, you know, go, yes, that sounds great. And so <laughs> Gambitious would allow for huge investments. So then whatever you were initially planning on doing would, would be, it sounds to me like it would be, uh, it could be potentially be governed by the investors if, you know, if it was big enough. Whereas sticking with Kickstarter, it's more like fan-funded, fan, you know, the fans trust you to have the design of the game and go in the directions you want to go. And, you know, listening to people talk on panels at, at DragonCon about the Kickstarter projects that they had underway uh, from the video game track, they were so psyched and they were just so happy to have that kind of investment by the players of the game, not by somebody who thought it was a great business opportunity. So, well, this is surely progress in some way, shape or form. It wouldn't be something I'd ever be interested in. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does make sense. And the specter of investors swaying things or saying, this isn't coming out fast enough or whatever. Yeah. I'm not getting the return on my money. That could why, be. Why, yeah, exactly. Why is, this, why is this taking so long? Well, because you came to the last shareholder meeting and you said that was too many, that was too aggressive on the staffing. And so everything's going slow. Or you said, Hey, out, outsource everything, but the art, which we know would be good to China. 
and uh, we're still waiting because everybody's on a different timetable now. So, yeah, I don't know. It's in, it's really interesting to see this whole crowdsourcing thing just taking off and different approaches to it. But I I I personally really like the Kickstarter model a lot better as far as just the freedom. This seems to be like something that would curb that a little bit. Yeah. Still progress though. It's cool. Yeah. Have and they you... look happy in the picture. <laughs> the the Amsterdam people? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Have you are you still playing the Secret World? No, I canceled my subscription when I bought Dragon Age, like the same night that I bought I'm not Dragon Age. <laughs> when I I always I always <laughs> say that. When I bought Guild Wars two. Oh, I, uh, oh. <laughs> I canceled my uh, subscription to uh, to Secret World. Well, not because of I just figured I wouldn't have time to play it. You yeah, know? two different MMOs at and, once. And, and Guild Wars Two has no subscription, or even you know, I, I mean, it's just like you buy it and you play it. But I just thought, you know, I can save some money, and so I did. I'm still following it though, quite a bit. Do you think that Funcom is right to have promoted? internally a, a different game director yeah yeah I, I think it's well i think it's an interesting it's it's cool that okay so because they they promoted someone internally i think that's always a good sign yeah. um rather than if they brought someone in from the outside like if they said the only way to save this is some new blood yeah that's always bad Right. We've found this professional. He's good at turning games around. So, you know, he's going to bring in all all his own people, and we're going to have six months of utter chaos and people afraid of the, for their jobs. Now, promoting from within, I think, is usually good, and it made a lot of sense when I read the article. So I, I think it's probably a good idea. So who's been promoted is Joel Bylos, who was previously the lead content designer in Secret World, and he was also the lead designer lead content designer for Age of Conan. And I, I believe he also worked on uh, the the Asian expansion for Age of Conan. I Another game near and dear to our hearts. Yeah. Yeah, so he's been promoted while Ragnar Tornquist, who was, original, who was previously the game director, has now been Ragnar's sidestepped to be just a creative director. Right. So... They haven't kicked anybody to the curb. They're just kind of reshuffling some internal people. And it may end up, yeah, it may end up being helpful. By all things that I've heard from you and Eric, and what wasn't Scott somebody who played it too? No, um, no. I think it was mostly me and Eric. But, yeah, um, but you, you both really liked it. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I really like the game. In fact, you know, I'm, I'm playing Guild Wars 2 now, not Dragon Age. Um and I, I, after I get, you know, kind of burned out with this, I really plan to go back to um, the Secret World just because there's stuff in that game that is in no other MMO that I've ever played, no other game really that I've ever played, except for, like, if it's got elements kind of similar to Myst, you know, where you're just trying to solve puzzles and yeah. figure things out and you take your time. Like, it's the coolest thing about that game and all other MMOs, you know, because I just don't have a ton of discretionary time, I always feel kind of like I'm racing the clock, you know, trying to get the most out of my two or three hours that I can sit mm -hmm. down and actually play one of these. And with that one, I never feel rushed. I always just experience the game. And I don't know what that is, but it, it's a cool quality that it has. It, it's 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 really neat. And so 
Um, I plan to go back to it, and so it'll be interesting to watch from the sidelines without having an active subscription and see what, what all they're doing. Yeah. Stay tuned. The Episode 3, Rise of the Cat God, is the next piece of content <laughs> that's going to be released for... And as cheesy as that sounds, I bet it'll be way cooler than any other expansion you've seen in <laughs> other MMOs. Or not expansion, but in, you know, an issue. Content update. Yeah, because yeah, I think Older Public's getting 1.4 here pretty soon. Or something yeah, like that. and that, that's another one I'd like to play some more of. Try some of, yeah. you know, max out some of the other character classes. But, uh, well, while you're considering all of these silly MMOs to take up your time, I want to get back to trying to get you to play Mass Effect. And there's like a really sweet opportunity to get all three games in a single bundle, potentially with some DLC on November 6th. Oh yes, yeah. Mass Effect okay. Trilogy. So I I love to play these types of games with a mouse. However, I think for Mass Effect, I really want to play it on a console. I want to play it on my 360, so I plan to buy yeah. the trilogy. Sweet! Definitely. That's what I wanted to find out. Yeah. That's the only reason I put this story in there. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you if you were thinking this might be worth getting. I definitely yeah. recommend it. I love, love that trilogy. And there's this fantastic editorial slash column, I don't know what to call it, that I read just the other day. I mentioned it in my Twitter, and I, I don't want to be too aggressive about promoting it if you haven't played the first two games, because there's just tons of major spoilers. All the major story points are brought up, but it makes a really great argument for how Mass Effect is the most important and impactful sci-fi franchise or universe of our generation. As wow. compared to Star Wars, Star Trek, Battlestar Galactica, a lot of my favorites, and it's it's a really good way of explaining why it is. It's like, wow, I hadn't thought about it. And it's mostly the argument of the editorial is that Star Trek, Battlestar Galactica, I don't know, Babylon 5, whatever, a lot of these great sci-fi series that we love have addressed some controversial subjects, you know, pushed social mores that are existent in our society and gone a little bit further than those or asked philosophical questions about synthetic life forms and the self-actualization of those. And while they're, while these different franchises are known for touching on some of these items, Mass Effect really does all of them, does all yeah. of those controversial topics, addresses them all, and also does it from a perspective that's pretty unique to all the other sci-fi franchises out there in that humans are just the lowest being on the totem pole. And there are other civilizations or other alien races that are much more established. They've been around a lot longer, a lot more advanced, that are at the top of the ruling hierarchy and civilized space. And humans are just fighting for recognition and legitimacy amongst other races that have also been around longer than the humans. And it's just kind of an interesting way to spin things that humans aren't the integral solution. They're not coming in and they're going to provide the be the salvation. They have to work alongside with these other alien races. They have to legitimize themselves. And it's kind of a cool way to take on all these controversial things, topics, these deep thought topics, uh, morality stuff, be able to shape, uh, design your character and have them act however that the way that you want in all of these different scenarios, all bundled up into one experience. It's pretty awesome. So Plus, game is effect. To Fox news. It's a virtual sex simulator. Also very important. Yeah. <laughs> but most important of all, the biggest story that we wanted to save for the end of the Intergat and oh, was yeah. the, the revelation that Dead or Alive 5, the Namco Bandai Team Ninja team, wanted to make sure that they were really paying attention to what people thought about their games because 
Ninja Gaiden 3 got a lot of negative fan feedback, and they're trying to remedy that with the Wii U version being a lot more difficult and a lot bloodier and gorier. But with that in mind, they also wanted to make sure they were sensitive to what fans had to say about Dead or Alive 5, one of their other marquee franchises. And the business people overseas, like, you know, could you make these women a little bit more realistic, a little bit more normally proportioned, not make it so sexual? But the fans, the gamers are like, we really want bigger breasts. <laughs> bigger all around. They need to be bigger than they are now. It's almost like a fetish. Like No kidding. I, I, it's just... I mean, they were huge in Dead or Alive 3. I think they were the same size or slightly bigger in Dead or Alive 4. Um, definitely more jiggly in 4. <laughs> but with what they're talking about for 5 and for, from what I've already seen, it's just, like, ridiculous. And, I mean, I don't know. I... I I think it would have been fine, honest to God, if they had taken a, a, a if they had gone with their original instinct, which was to, you know, go with more realistic, more athletic looking women. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I just don't see like the way they've done Tina for this one. I don't really see her being able to move, honestly, <laughs> and not in the way she does move. It seems like she'd be too encumbered, you know, like she'd yeah. turn around and then she'd have to wait like two seconds for her boobs to make the arc. To get around with the rest of her, you know, and then there'd be inertia and stuff, and like the boobs would continue to go, and then she'd be like thrown off balance, and and she'd either be in like some kind of death spiral or, I don't know, it just. That's yeah. oh, awesome. I will. I would. I would have preferred. I would have preferred them to be more realistic. Listeners, let us know what you think. That's the biggest debate question out of our intergeton. Yeah. Bigger or more average breasts in Dead or Alive 5. Yeah, I mean, because the thing about the characters, and this is mentioned in the article, or at least one of the comments, was the the boobs are humongous, but nothing else is. They're not like voluptuous women. They're just, they're like women... Top-heavy. <laughs> ...with gigantic boobs, but their butts aren't like, you know... That's they right. Don't, That's they don't funny. counterbalance them. They're not Jennifer Lo- they're no, They don't have the J-Lo build at all. No. It's, it's uh, there's no counterbalance there. They would be so front he- top heavy. They would, you know, they'd just be laying on the ground face down. I think if they were real. Well, we want to... we're into our listener feedback with that in mind. <laughs> with that as awkward as it was. All right. So um, apparently, when we were at uh, Dragon Con, so was Agamemnon. Although uh, Noah and I didn't run across him, but Scott did. Um, and so Agamemnon writes in, Hey all, I'm back. Just now listening to episode 212 since it took me a week to recover from Dragon Con and then get back into things. Thought I'd give you some feedback on this one since I've gone a while and I'm um, catching up. To key on one thing you mentioned, while at Dragon Con I attended a couple of tabletop top RPG panels and it got me interested in RPGing. I joined a local gaming group and now in a regular Friday night second edition game and having fun. Well, congrats to you, man. That's awesome. That's really cool. Um, I miss those days from middle school when I played Chainmail in first edition. I do remember it being a lot less rules intensive as well and more narrative and using your imagination to come up with stuff to do or how to respond to situations as we played during lunch every day. Man, I actually remember playing at lunch every day in middle school, too. That's awesome. That brings back memories of being in the library and trying to force one of these sessions during like a the 20-minute period you have after chowing down all your food. Anyway, 
I've also since then either played or been in a playtest demo for D20 Shadow Chaser, sort of like X-Files meets, meets Supernatural. Also, Ooh. Call of Cthulhu, 1930s, Atomic Robo, Apocalypse World, a Pathfinder Session, and Cthulhu Tech Demo, which is like playing a Giver. Oh, wow. Um, Man, he's really of, immersed himself. <laughs> yeah, he's way gone into it, which is cool. Having a lot of fun in all of them. The group is really great, and I'm learning a lot about um, a lot after being out of circulation for about 20 plus rules or years. The rules have changed a lot, and sometimes I think too much maybe. It's lost some of the fun and bogged itself down in too many rules in some of the games. Uh, a lot does depend on the game running things, though. Regards, Agamemnon, The Reckoning. Lo, ha, 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 mo, 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 I tried to do it. I'm sorry, man. Um, I, yeah, that's still my, you know, I'm just not even going to go into it, but that's my pet peeve is where the rules dominate the game um, for an RPG, um, tabletop RPG. But it does sound like you're trying out everything that's possible. I mean, that's a huge diversity. So hopefully you'll find something that's really enjoyable and kind of stick with it and find a great GM or become a great GM. And sounds sounds like a blast. I wish I had the time to do it right now because that would be really fun. I know it does do it. And it does yeah. sound like fun. Yeah, I, I'm really stoked to hear some of our listeners reacquainting themselves with these great role-playing games since I'm kind of just new to it. I, I wish that I had those experiences and memories from middle school and high school that I just don't, but how cool that we can still get into these games, appreciate them, play them. And there's just so it's the, the benefit of waiting this long or waiting it out 20 years is that there's just so many more games to choose from. And some of the other ones have become really refined yeah. And it's just like, oh my gosh, all the possibilities. What are we going to do next? But at the end of the day, it is always about the GM and whether or not you have to take notes. Keeper. That's right. I've got a journal. Yeah. <laughs> but that, it's really great to hear from you again, Agamemnon. Thanks for mentioning us at DragonCon as well. Super yeah. cool. You know, if we'd have been thinking, well, actually, this is Scott's thing. If Scott had been thinking, he would have arranged, arranged for us to have met later that day or something could have all like met somewhere like yeah when next time next time we'll figure it out that's right we will yes so this is the part where we move into what we've been playing <laughs> was that i was waiting second? for it i was just uh, waiting for it <laughs> <laughs> so no what have you been playing oh let's see i've been continuing to get through resident evil revelations on my 3ds kind of as a way to make myself even more ravenously, rapidly psyched up for Resident Evil 6, which comes out next week. I'm not sure if I'm going to finish Revelations before I get a chance to play Resident Evil 6, but either way, I'm just loving Revelations, that there's such a high-quality Resident Evil game on a portable, and it's in 3D, which is really cool. That's pretty it's cool, just, yeah. It's great, and I love how it does the episodic format, and it's it's easy to play in little bite-sized pieces. I've also played some more League of Legends, and I am felt really good, because the last time I played, I actually remembered how to have some map awareness, and I was just oh, zooming nice. around the map, helping people out, saving people, and I was getting thanked for it. I'm like, yes, this is how I should be playing. Oh, I'm finally nice. starting to remember how to be a completely decent player yeah. versus just like, uh, what do I buy next? So I think I'm almost ready to venture back into the full original game mode, Summoner's Rift. 
which I've, I've stayed away from because it's just really intimidating. And plus it takes a lot of freaking time. And right. usually when I start up League of Legends, it's late at night and I'm just like, all right, I'm going to play Dominion because it's only going to take 20 minutes and I can go to sleep. But oh. either way, still having fun. There's so many champions that I want to familiarize myself with or try out. So I anticipate much more League of Legends in my future. But I finally secured my copy of Dragon Age Origins Ooh. Ultimate Edition. It does that came come in with the mail. Awakening and stuff too. Yeah, it does. Oh, perfect. And the DLC and stuff like that. So I'm really stoked. I got it on the PC. I remember quite vividly that Jason recommended in his review to play it on a PC, not on the 360. And I remember that in a lot of reviews as well. So yeah, all the way PC. So I have to find time to juggle that with League of Legends, Resident Evil, and whatever else I'm going to be playing. How about that you, Mark? Great. Um, so League of Legends, yeah, back in that. I've been playing uh, a lot of Poppy lately, which has been really fun, because I just like smashing stuff. It's just so... It's, I'm surprised it's, how much you've really played her. I, I never, I don't think you ever that were ever that big of a Poppy player in the past. You liked her, but you didn't play her this consistently. No, I played her, I, I played her, and I felt I had a natural affinity with her, but then my friend Donovan started playing, and that's the one, I was like, you know, you probably would like Poppy, but don't play her, because she's mine. And, of course, he chose Poppy. And so we were yeah, every time we played players, so I was like, well, I'm going to have to learn how to play somebody else. So um, I write about then Sona came out, and I was like, well, Sona just rules, which is about mm-hmm. Sona and Poppy, the way they play, it, are about as different as is totally possible in within that game. I mean, they are so different. Um, so, yeah, I've been playing Poppy, and I just love just smashing people and being super fast. Um, I actually was able to outrun a Yi the other night, which was nice. utterly hilarious because you could just see the Yi player. Who, Yi is very fast for those who aren't League of Legends players. In fact, he's like probably the fastest normally. But with my build and where he was in his build, I was faster, barely. And so you could just almost see his, like, he was incredulous that I was catching up to him. And then I killed him. And he was like, what the hell was that? <laughs> and I was like, that was a great time for me that was just pure wonderful um so league of legends playing a lot of poppy um i've been playing a little bit of torchlight 2 i i'm i want to get really into it i just um i'm like almost afraid to because it's so addictive and fun but Mm -hmm. it's it's really been fun to play and um guild wars 2 um is is cool the thing that guild wars 2 has that keeps sucking me in uh, aside from really interesting takes on player character classes that that are, I mean, like the way they do their necromancer, he feels like an honest to god necromancer. In a lot of the games, like EverQuest Two and and some of the others, when you play a necromancer, it feels like a wizard character with a few abilities, like you can summon skeletons and stuff. But yeah. you don't feel like you're actually using dark powers and doing dark shit. And in this one you do, everything you do is stealing life from stuff, is withering things, is, is you know, you're laying stuff down on the ground that causes, like, these skeletal hands to come up and grab people. Um, you're, you um, can turn into, like, a, a totally black light-absorbing spectral version of yourself. That's so cool. You know, when, you're, when you need to regenerate life faster, you, you can summon all these disgusting minions to do your bidding. Um, and and so it just feels more like that. So there's that in that, you know, they really have realized that character class really well. I played their, their kind of paladin equivalent, and that's a really well-done version of a paladin, too. Um, but one of the other things I really 
I really like about it is for that completionist explorer in me, it keeps track of all the different things you can possibly do in a city and how far along you are in progressing to completion. And then you get like a bonus as you complete it. And I love that. It's like, Oh, go to these scenic vistas, which are jumping puzzles, which I love jumping puzzles. So I love to get to the end of the jumping puzzle and, and then just watch other players try to do it and fail and laugh at them. So I've been having a blast with that. And I'm, I'm sure you can imagine my, my utter glee as people like are so close to making that big jump and then they fall and then they have to start all the way from the beginning and you watch them running across the landscape and, and then you watch other people like just running around in circles trying to figure out how to even get started trying to get <laughs> to where you are with the jump. And meanwhile, you're just up there, like right where it says, you know, you, you're right next to the thing that's obviously the scenic vista that you're supposed to get to and, and, you know, they're trying to talk to you on chat and you give them bad advice. It's a blast. So I really <laughs> like it for that, too. As evil as it is, it's darn fun to me. Well, that's cool. It sounds like we're both getting to play a lot more games uh, than we have in some of the weeks previous. Yeah, definitely. You're just being busy and stuff. Mm-hmm. Our last little segment that we have is just some general geekery, and I, I think we should really kick it off with a, with a unboxing or un, uncanning, if you will, of the multi-beverage that no one will now describe to you. Oh, yes. I've actually not had anything, any type of beverage this entire show, and having this Mountain Dew Johnson City Gold next to me the entire time has just made me really thirsty. So, Do you need some, like, some ginger to cleanse your palate, like at a sushi <laughs> restaurant or anything? Or? No, no. I, oh. I haven't had anything to drink for a couple hours now, so... I'm definitely thirsty, which may make my appreciation of this drink now, are less you gonna drink or stronger. Are you going to drink it straight or on the rocks? Out of the can, yeah. Out of the can, right out of the can. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. And listeners, just so in case you haven't seen it, it's it's a it's a tall can. Mountain Dew started selling uh, tall can versions of regular Mountain Dew and Code Red and Diet Mountain Dew. I think they're. 20 ounce cans and this is a 16 ounce can and it's yeah, it looks... only available at 7-Eleven which is something that I did not know when I first went out looking for it I went to another convenience store I went to a Diamond Shamrock store and I'm like where's the Mountain Dew malt thing that's, like, that's... why I failed tonight because uh, I went to so, yeah and so I asked the cash register lady and she's like oh it's only it's exclusive to 7-Eleven I'm like really she's like yeah because I was walking here today and I saw it on a billboard and it says it's exclusive to 7-Eleven I'm like oh well, that explains it so I made a side trip to get this and so if you're interested in trying it out regardless of what I think of it that's where you have to go to get it because it's only going to be there so cool. let's find out if it's any good now Mark I, you've said that you've had this and you liked it right yeah it's indescribable. So this will be interesting. It smells like Does grass. It, smell? it smells <laughs> like malt liquor. Is what it smells like. It smells like a Mike's Hard Lemonade or a Colt Forty Five. It or does. Any, yeah. It, anything that's a malt liquor, it smells just like that when you open it. It doesn't necessarily smell sweet. It smells like malt. It smells liquor. like something strong. There's the strong lemon smell, but there is that malt. Yeah. A very strong, just as strong as the citrus smell, a malt smell. Mm. I'm a little bit nervous about this because I've had some really nasty malt beverages. Let me do the, uh, let me get the crowd ready. Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) he has cracked the can. He is preparing to bring it to his mouth 
to imbibe this wonderful <laughs> Mountain Dew beverage. All right, no, you may proceed. Thank you. Ugh, gross. <laughs> <Nasty>. <laughs> and so he has managed to describe it with one <laughs> guttural <laughs> utterance of Ugh. Yuck. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a malt beverage okay. mountain dew, but it's not alcoholic. Now, now try it again. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, he's trying for his second time. Yeah, that just doesn't taste right. It tastes wrong. Not that I wanted to taste like Mountain Dew, but it just doesn't taste like something I want to regularly drink. And you were really Certainly thirsty for the record, right? Yeah, no kidding. Wow. Now, would you dare to try it on the rocks? Because then you can see that it's utterly colorless. You're right. Actually, I can see it sitting on the rim that it's totally yeah. clear. Which it's is like weird. Just seven up coloring. Or yeah, you think I something called Johnson City Gold would be gold colored. Gold? But yeah, that's what I expected. Like a, I don't know, like a Mountain Dew color. Oh gosh! Ugh. I continue to drink it because it's no, in front of me. Now vomiting in the toilet. It's like what is it? It's like O'Doul's non-alcoholic beer or something. So it's yeah, it's like you feel like it should be like it tastes like beer, but it's not beer. It's you feel like. I feel like they've left something out. Like it's, there should be some other taste that's not there. There's something missing, but you can't tell what it should be. Yeah, I don't know if that's what this is kind of similar. To, I don't know if this is similar to an Odul's experience or not. I've never had that either. <laughs> well, but the quest say, shall continue for me to find <laughs> a <good> drink. <laughs> the quest continues. Well, thank you, thank you, Noah, for being a human guinea pig. I have only, I've had, okay, so I had one, and I was really thirsty, and I drank it. I was also distracted. Um, the second time I tried to drink it, I only got a quarter of the way in, and I threw it out. So, interesting. Okay. Well, it's good to know that I'm, that someone who's got more of a, has this more acquired taste doesn't think it's that great either. Yeah, no, I wouldn't call it an acquired taste. I just thought it was very strange and hard to describe. I, it's an interesting novelty. I'll, I'll give it that. And I'm but glad like Vasparilla is an interesting novelty that's also quite good. But this that's is like, good. yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of like root beer and Coke mixed together. Oh. And you can you can usually only get it at like places with a Wild West motif or something. <laughs> this is totally weird. Yeah. Well, anyway, since we're on General Geekery, we've we've had the un, unboxing or uncanning, if you will, of the Johnson Gold City Gold, <laughs> and we're going to continue our quest for tasty beverage, I suppose, in a next in a subsequent podcast. But yes, in other news, I saw Dread, and I thought it was awesome. I saw it. I I wasn't even aware of it except Noah told me about it. And uh, he said, hey, there's a Judge Dredd movie coming out. And I was like, holy crap, no way, because the last one was so horrible. But I'm such a huge Judge Dredd fan. So I went and saw it, and I loved it. I thought it was incredibly good. It was, at first, I, uh, the first few minutes, I have to say, I was kind of in disbelief. I was like, okay, I'm seeing this. Nothing seems wrong yet. Everything <laughs> seems okay. Waiting for the other but, shoe to drop. But it, yeah, I was like, "Where's the other shoe? It's gonna start sucking any time now." Cheese, cheese will start coming out of the screen. It, it'll be that cheesy. But it was, it was. I really enjoyed it. I'm not gonna spoil anything. 
I'm just going to say Carl Urban now, um, between this and his uh, Dr. McCoy, has really impressed me. Um, almost made up for the Doom movie. So, um, really good, though. I just, to- I totally love the way he, I, he was, he was well cast for it. Um, as was the, the woman who played Anderson, who's, I can't remember the actress's name right now, but she was awesome, too. Um, and the bad, the mama, the bad guy, or bad gal, was played by, um, oh, the woman who plays Cersei Lannister in Game of Thrones. Uh, oh, Lena Headley? Lena Headley, and she was an awesome villain. So good. Um, yeah. She I didn't was, know she was in there. That's really cool. Yeah, and she's just so – she's even more dislikable and despicable than Cersei Lannister, <laughs> which is, like, difficult to do. I mean, really. Accomplishment. And she was harder-edged than um, she was in, like, the 300 as uh, as the wife of um, – uh, what's his name? So – Queen, whatever of the, anyway of the Spartans, but it, it was really cool. I really enjoyed it, um, and, and so I kind of was curious to see how it did on Metacritic after I watched it, and so this is where I have to say I really hate critics. So the critics gave it a fifty-nine review, but the user reviews, and I think on Rotten Tomatoes you were saying it did really well, right, Noah? Um, the the user yeah. reviews on Metacritic was an eight point five. And I was like, well, how does that compare to, like, another, you know, comic book-based superhero movie called The Avengers, which I think is universally considered to be probably the greatest, um, you know, like, comic book-based movie uh, ever, or in in recent years at least. I don't know what your thoughts are on The Avengers, but most people thought it was pretty damn good. Oh, yeah, no kidding. I mean, that's basically the second coming since Dark Dark Knight. Yeah, so, um, so Dredd got a 59 for reviewers, most of which... Like, the reviews were just totally retarded. Um, but 8.5 from the users that um, that are on the site. The Avengers got a 69 by reviewers, but an 8.1 by the users. I thought that was just kind of weird that, you know... Yeah, Metacritic skews harsher. Yeah, they really do. And, and, it's, and it's interesting how diametrically opposed sometimes the the what the review the professional critics versus the people that actually you know watch the shows um the the regular guy gal kind of people you know the way they perceive these things and i don't think you know a film critic would really appreciate dread fully um no but likewise some of the crap that the that the professional critics do appreciate, I don't appreciate, you know, there's no way you can tell me some of these movies that they give, you know, they say the acting is just incredible. I'm like, that was acting. I don't, I don't, I didn't drive is a great example of that. In my opinion. Yeah. It's stuff like that where you're just like, I just don't understand where you're coming from here. You know, I do, I do believe I appreciate good acting, but I don't, or story or, you know, I just don't see it coming together sometimes the way they do. So I found that to be interesting. Even more interesting, though, I was like looking up the reviews um, on Metacritic between Torchlight 2 and Diablo 3. So Diablo 3 had an 88 um, reviewer score. For which is fantastic. Yeah. And Torchlight got an 89, which is one better. Meanwhile, the user score for Torchlight mm. 2 is 9.2 versus a 3.8 for Diablo 3. Oh. 
So how do you reconcile those numbers? I mean, what's going on here where these things can be so skewed and so different? makes me think that maybe reviewers play it really safe. And those of us who, you know, don't have anything on the line and just give it a, give it our honest opinion. Um, you know, maybe I, maybe what we should do is really focus on the user scores on, on something like Metacritic or, you know, the way Rotten Tomatoes does it is obviously working pretty well too. I don't I'm, I haven't, how do they score? Is Rotten Tomatoes just all user or, you know, reader reviews or scoring or how's that? There's are they have a criteria for what they will roll up into their official score. And it's something like you have to have so many reviews, you have to have been around so many years mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. And Metacritic does the same thing, except I think they also weight scores. I'm not yeah. sure if Rotten Tomato does. Rotten Tomatoes does this as well, but they might because Rotten Tomatoes does make a distinction between top critics and then just regular critics. But I know Metacritic also does that. Like if you're IGN, then your score will carry a lot more weight in influencing the overall average versus some fan site. Mm, like Channel Massive or something. Yeah, like that. Like that. <laughs> yeah. Pretty interesting, though, I thought, you know, just the, the, the disparity between the, the scoring and just how low the reviewers, the, the professional critics are rating Dread, despite the fact that it was so well done. Yeah. And I mean, I've got like the graphic novels and comic books. I, um, you know, I've been a fan since it first came out, the, you know, the original comic book. So um, I thought it was perfect, which is a real shocker because, you know, the one with Sylvester Stallone was so horrible. Likewise, I think Torchlight 2 is much more the spiritual successor of Diablo 2 than Diablo 3 is in a lot of ways. <laughs> Do you feel that it's more like Diablo 2, like some of the reviews that I read? Yeah, and I think, you know, despite the more cartoony, um, you know, graphics, it just plays so damn well, and it's just so fun. And the, the way the there's just a magic to the way the classes, the different classes do things and blow stuff up and the way it looks. It just feels great to play it. It's a blast. And it's priced well, you know? And it just you can't be I the don't 20 buck price for that much content. No, it's great. And and you can have up to six people playing multiplayer with it. Yeah, I mean, via LAN. That's really sweet. Yeah. That's like what you would expect from Diablo 3 because you could do something similar with Diablo 2, at least four players. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty happy with it. I'm I'm happy with my $20 investment, which also got me into the beta for Neverwinter, the um, like MMO version of Neverwinter Nights. So nice. Pretty cool. Well, I think that pretty much, much wraps us up. I mean, yeah. I can't think of much else to go into. We could well, we could mention that if we had had a roundtable, it would have said we're skipping this. Yes, um, for the so, show notes. <laughs> yeah, so leave us some feedback. Let us know if you like our format where we do, you know, the intro getting. And uh, let us know if you have any any thoughts about the way Metacritic works or about film critics, food critics, music critics. Any kind of critics, video game critics, love to hear from you. Love to hear from you um, regarding what you're playing, what you think's cool, 
What do you think is going on with Windows 8? Is it going to be a total failure? Or will it change the yeah. way we we are consumers of a, of a desktop uh, operating system? Love to hear from you. Send us mail at mail at channelmaster.com. Find us on Facebook. Watch Noah's Twitter feed. Watch him watch him tweet the tweets. Yeah. <laughs> or leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Yeah. <laughs> 